Shachtan, an Indo Askelige. Time in Mon Irok the Yen of Chacht Erachor, Agasuligum, a Makan Shaw, Gurfeder Echor, Inuik Kart, Len of Winterfein. Skilti, Fis, Turmi. Tashe Dochretche, Nach Vetok, Ara, Igornamion, and Kestian Echo. Vien Talam again Omgrev, Orkar Nrachtum. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms. Remember, you can stay up to date on the latest news with the Irish Independent WhatsApp channel. Hello and welcome to The Big Tech Show. I'm Adrian Weckler, the technology editor of the Irish and Sunday Independent, and we've got a great show for you today. In studio, we have a couple of people who have a lot of interesting things to say. Eamon Ryan is the leader of the Green Party in Ireland and a parliamentary TD for Dublin Bay South. Before entering politics, he actually used to run a cycling tour business and a bicycle shop, which I think is still going. Um, we also have Katie Byrne in studio, who's a journalist for the uh, Irish Independent, writes about all manner of things, is a really excellent writer, and uh, we're going to talk about one of her columns today. What are we going to talk about? All sorts of stuff, new tech, we're going to talk, talk about dating in tech companies, uh, we might get onto electric cars, to 5G, to broadband, maybe even some new um, camera tech uh, released this month, if we, uh, if we get around to it. Eamon, I have in my hand Samsung Galaxy S9. Mm. It's a beautiful, shiny piece of kit. Mm. And I've been tweeting photos from it, which mm. are kind of remarkable. But other than the camera, which is fantastic, it really is kind of the same as last year's model. It costs about a thousand euro. And yet I'm kind of part of an industry that's telling people, Asher, you might as well upgrade to one uh, uh, anyway. Am I being environmentally irresponsible by being part of the industrial complex to... I think you've been a bit stupid on a load of fronts, <laughs> actually. Just because tell me I think, just, just tell me what you think. how much you paid? How much you paid? A thousand euros well, or something? I, well, I'm well, okay. You might get us as a, as to try and test it. Yeah, I'm waving my Sony uh, Xperia back at you. Okay, I, I love the camera in these. Which things. which Xperia do you have? Sony Xperia ZX, I think, is it something. Okay, like. so okay, I, and actually, it's about two I years think, old. Yeah, no, yeah. but a year old. Okay. But actually, the cameras are something else. What you can do with these cameras now is incredible. Mm. And I kind of, if I'm upgrading or when I'm upgrading, I'm just looking at the camera all the time because I mm. love what you can do with the cameras. Mm. But in truth, it's kind of very uh, late, to th- late the last decade in terms of obsessing on the, na- the, la- the latest mm. phone. Because to a certain extent, I think, not that we've reached the limit of the, of the change or the new applications, but I don't think that the the kind of scale of the jump we're getting now is mm. that good. So environmentally, there is an issue. There is an issue in the rare earth materials and other kind of things that go into it. But I think there's also the other immediate issue that you're paying. It's a bit like buying a new car. You're probably paying a grand and probably 500 of it evaporates in the first mm. day of using it in terms of... Well, now, that's Sony ZX. That's a flagship phone. That wouldn't have cost less than about 750 euro if you bought it sim free if you got yeah. it on you know your operator upgrade you might have got it for 150 quid or something with your 60 quid a month bill or whatever but it's only a year old so you know you're 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 flashing oh, yeah. some pretty flashy I am but I use that for work and I kind of justify it in the sense that I like you 
I, I'm on Instagram, on social, on Twitter, on Facebook. Mm. And actually, a large part of what I do, like I was out last night at an event in Ballinrobe, I would have taken pictures of that, taken pictures of going there and shared them. Mm-hmm. And it's part of what I do. So having a good fo- having so a good you, so camera. So you have to have the best. Do you? Well, that uh, yes, as we've actually, but, but I really like having the camera. Can I go back just the broad point, though, where you say, I mean, the question is, is there an environmental downside? There is in terms of a throwaway consumer culture where we're just. In using other words, because we used to upgrade our mobiles maybe once every two or three years. And now. It's becoming every 18 months. And, you know, you, you look at the pressure that the companies put on and it's, you know, the iPhone 7 and the iPhone 8. Now it's the iPhone 10 or the iPhone X. And there's a big it's built in obsolescence. There's built in obsolescence, obsolescence in how they're designing it. Mm. And I think it is an issue. In, in, on the broad front, though, where the environmental movement is going is, is away from the... Are you using the right thing? Are you may being a good consumer? Mm. Shaming and naming and kind of making people feel guilty around what they're using mm. hasn't worked for the environmental movement. It hasn't. I mean, it works on occasions in certain areas. But actually, the shift has occurred on issues like climate change. People like Bill McKibben of 350.org have, have turned around to say, if there's a pipeline between the source of all these fossil fuels and then the end use, and if the end use is, let's say, in a product like your phone, you could concentrate on the end use or you can concentrate on the actual start of the problem at the source, source of oil, source of coal, source of gas, and indeed source of raw earth materials and how they're mined and so on. And what the environmental movement is moving towards is saying our job is make it easy for people to do the right things without us having to quiz them every day as to is that a morally correct decision. And, and that's, is that not us all sitting around being kind of middle class environment, environmentally aware people who, who still want really top end phones and kind of rationalizing our nice phones, you know. They because do, but, well, everyone wants it because you don't want... No, we don't want to, It's not just a middle class thing. People from a rural or for working class mm-hmm. have the same interest in terms of having, you know, having a product or something you're using that's ethical. Um, so it's not, it doesn't belong to any one class. It, it requires politics to, to then step into the breach to say, it requires the likes of the European Union. Like as a country, we're probably not big enough to tell Sony how their phones are made and what happens to them after they're used. But as the European Union, we are. And that's where the European Union kicks in and saying, from now on, we want you to make something here that's completely recyclable, mm-hmm. that the plastic in that has to be uh, a certain grade, has to be have, have an end location in terms of how it's reused. We want to move to a circular economy, which is where the European Union is a big play at the moment in the European Union. And that's the way to tackle it. For me, just to try to tackle it one by one, saying, oh, Adrian Reckler, that's not a good phone. You shouldn't be using it. OK, yeah. It, what does it do? It just makes you feel bad and me feel like a superior uh, or look like a superior uh, twit. Uh, it, I'd much prefer to spend no, you're, you're, You know, you're 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 giving my conscience a shock, right? Isn't that the whole point? You're not, you know, I, you know you're not talking down to me, right? Is that the theory that... You know, we're we're trying to aspire to be better global but citizens, I, and maybe we've lost the run of ourselves. Yeah, but the response to that, the response to that, I think, is building up public and political support for the regulation we need, so that the powerful companies that are are benefiting from this industry. Um, don't just run amok and that Mm. they have their responsibility. And that's a better use of putting political pressure on is to change the regulations and rules rather than just try and change the end use behavior. I mean, the other practical point behind this is I I started this by talking about the Samsung Galaxy S9 Plus. Um, As it happens, other than the camera and some 
kind of not particularly great emoji that uh, they're they're trying to to, to flog. And um, there's there's not actually a whole lot of difference between this and the S8. So you might have been able to make uh, an argument that the difference between say um, just trying to think in in say a Galaxy S6 and an S7 or an iPhone 5S and the iPhone 6, which had a much bigger screen, gave you access, in theory, to watching films and TV and stuff like that. But there isn't really that kind you know of... One thing that really bugs me that has changed, it really annoys me. I used to love using my phone as a radio, mm -hmm. where you had an FM, an radio FM for tuner. Yeah. And I came along that, so I didn't even realize that they'd scammed me, that they've put in now, you can only get basically through the internet. You tune you, in. You, you oh, come on. Radio. That's easy, though, right? No, so it's, like, it's not. No, and, well, and so you've I got find myself. I think it's 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 an agreement from the likes of the phone manufacturer and the telecom companies, so that uh -huh. it's Vodafone and so on are benefiting because they. Oh, you have to do get you think through. so? Yeah, and, and the I think bandwidth, it's also you mean? yeah, and it's also it's it's data. it's to use the bandwidth, mm -hmm. but also it's to provide an opportunity for various people to throw adverts at you that you don't get with an FM radio. And oh, but with an FM radio, I get I hear all the I hear four okay. minutes of ads every. Yeah, but you can minutes. choose. You can. Um, yeah, you do, but but I don't want on top of that. I don't mm -hmm. want someone throwing. So I'm still accessing that through the internet, and I'm getting advertising twice. Katie, can you rescue us here from the the middle aged blokes rant <laughs> session here? No, there's no FM radio on my. You no, know, that's I all I want. It's about, like the real issue around phones and everything now is around the ethics mm -hmm. of these monopoly companies, uh, telecommunications and internet companies, mm. who really have excess power. Mm. It's uh, awful, it, though. It's mm. horrific. I mean, mm. Apple have admitted that they deliberately slow phones down. Um, so whether you want to be environmental or not, you're left with this relatively clunky device that, that you do have to upgrade. Mm -hmm. um, also, the way apps are designed, we know that now that they're designed in such a way as to trigger dopamine and keep you hooked in the same way as oh, the gaming completely. industry. And I mean, the, the social networks in particular. So there's been an awful lot in the last couple of months really around Facebook and former Facebook executives who may or may not have had their own kind of beef um, separate to, to to what the truth of the ultimate truth of the matter is. But absolutely, they've designed Shizuk himself, hasn't he yeah. said that um, people might be using Facebook too much mm. and they might be too addictive. Mm. Um, you know, I went into the canteen yesterday without my phone. Mm -hmm. and Our I canteen here. I went in into the canteen here and I sat down and the only way I can describe it is, you know, on a sunny day and the sun's in your back and then the sun goes in behind a cloud and you're just... You're dejected, that What's feeling. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's mm. how I felt. Really? <laughs> yeah, that's, isn't that yeah, sad? That's not good. Yeah, that's mm. not good. Now, I wonder is because I'm so used, I always go in with my phone. Mm. That's my time to kind of check in and do all that mm. stuff. But, um. And <laughs> can, I, can I just ask you, would, is there anything that would have made that situation better in the canteen? Like if there had been somebody there to chat, to, I, I don't know. Is it, was it the absence of presence of, of, of another via your phone or, or, or an entertainment system via your phone, or was it just the phone itself? I think it's just the way habits are formed, isn't mm. it? Because mm. you and I talked about presence before. You wrote a column about six months ago, and you, the, you were exploring the idea of, I think it was headphones, and why people wear headphones yeah. in offices, why so many people wear headphones walking down the road. They almost use it like a virtual reality headset, and I am actually exhibit A. I wear headphones. Uh, over the here uh, overhead earphones as if to tell people get lost you know mm. I, i'm i'm not here i'm actually not present and i do it in the office sometimes and there are reasons for that because i want to focus and i want to uh you know to to write a piece but 
the, the, the point, the, the issue of presence, whether you're in the, sitting in the canteen or not, I mean, I'm wondering, are, are phones actually now a barrier? Are they kind of a halfway step to sort of flagging to other people that were, were not available? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. But that's at least, that's a personal preference. Mm -hmm. And you're conscious of, and everyone else is conscious, mm -hmm. you know, when you've got those headphones on, you're making a decision and oh, yeah. you're, and it's a visible decision in a way. Uh, but is it, a I, I've always wondered, is it, a, is it an antisocial, rude decision? I don't uh, know whether. Well, maybe it's a nice creative sure. space to be. I mean, I also mm -hmm. like to listen to music when I'm wandering around and, mm -hmm. and, uh, now, you have to be careful. You don't Not when come isolated from it. But can I just make the point? I think the bigger concern I have, or when, I mean, there is concern about loss of attention mm. to each other and, and how we give up our attention so easily to this device. But there's another issue in terms of stuff that's happening you don't even notice, you don't even see, which is around the rules around data, how, who owns it, how it's used, mm. the privacy issues around that. And that, for me, is, is, is the real critical issue. And I think it's critical, come as an environmentalist, it's critical for the following reason. We there are three revolutions taking place at the moment. There's a digital re communications revolution, Moore's law, the spe speed of processing data, everything increasing. There's also clean energy revolution. It's 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 not going to stop. It's it's going to be renewable. It's going to be solar and wind. It's it's inevitable now. The prices come down, and also at the start of a transport re revolution with electric vehicles, autonomous driving, car sharing, all really again, it's not going to stop. It's happening. To make it all work from an environmental perspective, going back to your first question about you know, is it sustainable what we're doing, we will need to use all three or mirror all three or merge all three revolutions and we will need to be efficient, like really efficient in everything we do. To do that, we have to use the Internet of Things and we have to use data communication systems more than anything else. I mean, when you look, when you start digging into what you need to do to roll out electric vehicles, it's actually all about data communication right. systems. Mm -hmm. Same with smart energy in the home, same with integration renewables, same with so many aspects of it. So actually, for to make this work, we need the faith of confidence of people to share data, to share data about their home and how they're using energy, to share data about transport, where they're going, where they've been. Um, and if we lose the trust of people, not just in terms of, oh, I don't like that because I'm slightly zoned out because of my phone, but actually I don't like it because I don't trust how my information is being used and how I'm being used in effect. Mm. And we're not there yet, but if mm. it keeps going the way it's going at the moment, we will be there. And that will undermine the ability to use the technology in a way that would be really liberating, really beneficial. And so... I think it's that aspect of, I think we're at a point of real change. Even the last year or two, it's changed. I think... But it won't, won't, because two months' time, we have this thing, the GDPR, this EU-wide mm. law, which is a, a new level of data privacy, and there's going to be fines, and there's going you know, to be new obligations on business and organizations to pro uh, protect our data. So maybe that might mitigate on that. But here, here in, in Ireland, for example... I'm not sure how any of you guys feel about this issue. There's been a bit of controversy over this public services card, which mm -hmm. is this um, maybe biometric data also recorded to this card, which mm. is supposed to be introduced for a practical purpose. But, you know, a lot of fears that it, we're heading down a kind of a continental national identity card, which seems to work fine for continental countries. But we come from more of a... Um, a common law background like the UK mm. where we just instinctively don't like the idea of being stopped on the street yeah. by a guard and who can say, you know, papers, please. We, we just we just don't like that idea here. They don't seem to have a, that much of a problem uh, with it. You talk about trust in data. Is it not kind of inevitable with the, um, 
you know, some of the services, this is something we've talked on the podcast before, with some of the services that, that we have, like Facebook, Airbnb, etc., where you're rated a lot of the time. And, mm. and now we all have a profile, whether we like it or not, uh, our LinkedIn profile, our Facebook profile. And you need these to connect to some services now. Is there not kind of, are we not just heading down this sort of road of being a, a commodity and our data being a commodity? Yeah, I, well, it's, I'm surprised by how easily we gave it up. Mm-hmm. You know, there was, okay, there's a little bit of conversation around the demise of privacy, but just, and again, from a personal point of view, I mean, I've been in so many scenarios where, well, I, I suppose before Wi-Fi became so accessible, but where there was like the potential for free Wi-Fi in like, say, a shopping center or whatnot. And obviously, if you went through the small print, it's like you're basically giving Sign us here. up yeah. everything There's here. There's still it's a like, couple of places yay, around town free that do Wi-Fi. that. I've called them out uh, yeah. on Twitter where... It was one betting shop for 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 a start. Actually, the Helen Dixon, the uh, data protection commissioner, also called this betting shop. But you signed up, you said okay, and then you started getting, you know, uh, emails and spam emails and stuff. Yeah, and yeah. You, you, you damn sure you're still on their database. You mm. know, I understand. You, you sign up to WhatsApp, and they're using the, your contact information of your friends without your friends knowing it. Yeah. Like that's going on wholesale. Go back to your thing about the card and identity card, and I would have mm. concerns around if we. Yeah, what's your view on that? By um, the way. Well, I listen, first of all, Dennis Jennings is interesting. Have you ever talked to him? He's a former head of computing in UCD. He was very involved in the early stages of the design of the internet. And he was making the case that if you did it in a way where it's really transparent as to who's using the data in whatever way, mm-hmm. you know, that he was arguing that you had to have a loggable system where the use and, and processing of the data, of that data, that card information, would always be traceable and publicly traceable and in a very secure system so that you could really analyze and it would be you'd have right to access to it to see who's using it. And I think that's one of the principles in any issue about what sort of identity cards we have. Mm. It's that the state can't hide, that the state has to be transparent and clear. I think there's a related concern. The current we've there's a bill in the Shannon at the moment, it's going to come into the doll next month, I guess. Our data, the new digital, to preparing for the GDPR, the mm. new GDPR. D- yeah. GDPR. Um, and I think one of the main concerns in that, I read TJ McIntyre outlining it, which I think is a fair point, mm. that the state isn't as transparent as it's looking for other people to be. Mm. And it's really That's an excellent point. Yeah. I've been involved in this digital policy area for a decade more now, 15 years, I suppose, on the Dáil Committee looking at it, and five years, four years as a minister. And it kind of... You come to realisation it's really hard to regulate a lot of the internet stuff because you often don't know the technical, you need to understand the technical process in terms of how information is shared. Mm-hmm. And, and even when you understand that, your technology is changing and, and there's all, so much different things happening. I think one of the ways you go about it, one of the ways to do it is you, you don't look at the very end point in terms of policy decision, you know, should you have X or Y. You start with first principles in terms of what are the basic principles we want around this. Because this revolution is only starting in 2030. But it's those time. first principles that I think are the, the source of some of the unease over the pu- uh, public services card. In other words, basic questions such as will I need in future to start producing my public services card to access services which I do not need to do now? And will there be kind of a creep where agencies, um, maybe private companies will start doing as well, simply because my, it's a handy piece yeah. of, of identification? My instinct, because I would have been involved as representing as communications minister coming with a certain perspective on the internet, a lot of my time was negotiating with the Department of Justice, 
who have a lot of uh, responsibility in this area. And yeah, I think unfortunately they come with a security first principle approach yeah, in every which, they, which they will do. Which yeah. they innately do. But I'm not too sure it's the clever, I'm fairly certain it's not the clever, it's not actually even a really secure approach. I think the real form of security now comes from having where the state does use that data in any way that it's fully accessible, transparent as to what they're doing. Yeah. Uh, and I think I do have concerns about the way we're going and that how that could, could, could creep. And it's not just the state. I mean, the companies and, and the power of those companies now, monopoly companies, not mon- yeah, monopoly in terms they're, they're of... They're quasi-utilities like, like, like Google and Facebook. And there's, in fairness, there is a lot about that. Like uh, certainly in, in this newspaper, we week in, week out, we're given the social, big social companies, uh, actually something akin to a kicking uh, yeah. on a lot of these issues. But at least that's played out publicly uh, in the domain. The relationship between the citizen and the state when it comes to the point you're making about trust and how they use data and the transparency issue. We've never been brilliant in Ireland at that. Which I think no. what Dennis Jennings is, is, says is true. You yeah. need maybe even some sort of blockchain ba- yeah, places totally somewhere. Agree. You have the actual mm. record of everything that happens with your data mm. and you can go back and... Blockchain, blockchain. Yeah. Right well, there. There's on, that word. On that point, yeah. there's some really yeah. interesting... Um, cryptocurrencies coming out that are utilizing data and putting the power you're, back you're, into Yeah, you, you, you're kind of interested in crypto. Yeah, yeah, I am. And I think there's some really interesting coins um, that are sh- allowing people mm-hmm. to um, own the commodity that is mm. their own data Do, uh, and to essentially and to essentially to, to make money off it. Yeah. And I think that's I think that's where we're going, because I mean, this is a juggernaut. It's going to keep on going. So I think it's, it's now who actually and it's basically a data, it? a data storage system. It's, it's basically yeah. a, a record system. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I was at a conference uh, recently and um, there were quite a few people talking about blockchain and crypto, which are, which are not necessarily the same thing. One is more, it, it uses the other. Um, and there's quite a bit of development now in Ireland. I spoke to one venture capital company, which is basically pivoted a lot of its business into initial coin offerings and um, crypto um uh, cryptocurrency ventures, and yet at the same time, there's there's quite a bit of skepticism as well. I'm I'm listening mm. to very senior authoritative, um, not a, not so much economists, but venture capitalists who literally have money to gain or to lose. A lot of them are saying there's a lot of sharks out there. Oh, big time! Kind of in the crypto. I know that's kind of slightly off what we we're talking about, but in mm. terms of blockchain, the blockchain process. Do, do you think that blockchain is is going to inevitably wend its way into? all of our services. Everything. A friend yeah. who went over in London, a guy called Vinay Gupta, is, is involved in this and I kind of watch him from afar. Yeah, he's a nice podcast. Yeah, well. Vinay's a hoot. Mm. And a uh, Scottish Indian uh, Hindu priest who's doing, an, he's on Ethereum, I think is his okay. end of that. that. Mm. And so I think there is really, I trust someone like Vinay that he sees this is revolutionary change. It is. Mm-hmm. There's really shown the energy side. There's a real, the, the, to be able to set up the, the record keeping, the assessment of, of any transaction requires a huge amount of data processing mm. which requires a, a computational da- data processing which requires a huge amount of energy and I don't think anyone's cracked that yet it's probably mm. one of the biggest constraints in terms of yeah. how much energy does it take to maintain the uh, the record and, and to date n- I don't hear of anyone having cracked that fundamental problem they, mm. there's, a f- there's a few coins I mean not all the way but if you get coins like um, like Nano formerly um, Rayblox they're they're on the way, so they're not they're not mining, so to speak. Mm-hmm. It's just a different kind of consensus. 
mm. algorithm and it's considerably less of a do you actually use toll. any cryptocurrency for anything like to actually purchase yeah. yeah to purchase more cryptocurrency yeah, i mean isn't that what a currency <laughs> isn't that what a currency is supposed to be it, but can i give <laughs> another example of currency which could be like why i do i'm really interested because it does i'll give you an example of application where i'd be interested in working at the moment thinking about it. um we've all this renewable power a company like Apple says we want to set it up in Athenry and we want to just use renewable power. How can you tell you're just using renewable power? And way, well, that way, was always one of the big questions, yeah. wasn't it? And the answer would be that you do have, using the Internet of Things, you actually keep a loggable record of, of where everything's coming from and where it goes to. So you have a certificate of origin and destination in terms of electricity, and it's verifiable so that they can pay for it in a way that, and they can guarantee to the consumers that their data s servers are 100% renewable. Mm. There's an example where, and it's not, I mean, yes, it would have to be secure because it's a monetary value attached to it. It's not like a currency, but it's a, it's a loggable record of transactions. And it's, if you can get the energy problem solved on mm. that, that's an immediate application that people would jump to mm. because it would have, uh, oh, it would go into action straight away. Just mm -hmm. on the energy point, um, electric cars is something I wanted to, to, to bring up. I've kind of a passing interest in it in my, in myself. Um, I can't afford a Tesla. Um, don't think I ever no. will be able to afford them. Well, well, yeah, the, the, the Model 3, uh, I think, is coming in at something that's getting closer to my budget, but I'm not sure they're ever going to deliver it. But, um, but electric cars in Ireland have been, so far, I have to say, a bit of a flop. And I've test-driven lots of them and I've written about them. And I think the last time I looked, the figures on the road show that there were is it under 6,000 in total that have been sold in the mm. last five years, including all the marketing that all the companies um, have done. Um, anytime I've had one, I go to one of the charging points and instead of taking 30 minutes for an 80% minute, charge, it takes like an hour and 10 minutes and that's if it's working. I can't travel out of uh, Dublin, et cetera. But just from an energy point of view, um, I mean, are, is, is it, it has to get better, right, for electric cars. I mean, surely. Or, or, or is there just, is this just an uncrackable problem with a lack of infrastructure? And are we going to be forced into buying electric cars no, just because gonna, diesel no. cars are going to be banned? No, we're going to, well, I mean, in some way the, the regulations will help. But no, the reason we're going to go electric is because they are better cars. Right. And they're better cars in a whole variety of ways. Firstly, and critically, they're simpler cars to make. They're, they're less moving parts. You have about 35 moving parts in an electric vehicle. Can I just put it to you that Danny Healy Ray said recently that they can't handle puddles? Rubbish. Oh, no. so I was listening <laughs> he to did. That. I was listening to that. He told the Joint Oroctus Committee on yeah. Agriculture, Food and the Marine, he said, look, there are lots of problems with electric cars. And one of the things is you'll know all about it when you hit a puddle. You know, they can't handle, they can't handle a splash of water, he said. No, 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 no. Nonsense. There are two, whatever, two or three million cars out there at the moment. They're, they're managing fine in the puddles. But they are, firstly, the reason why they're better cars, and, um, and that's every single car company is going for them, so it is gonna, it's going to come like a real rush now in the next two or three years, um, is because they have less moving parts, therefore their maintenance costs shrink dramatically. They're actually much easier to service, much cheaper to service. And the batteries now have a slightly longer life than they and they're much. And the they? price of batteries have plummeted. The reason the price is coming down, the reason they're going to win is because fundamentally the price of batteries has collapsed in the last five years. But then you also have the next benefit that the fuel cost is typically a fifth of what the petrol or diesel cost is. So your running costs are a fifth. And the third main benefit, this is a wider societal one, but it's real. If we get, I always remember looking at the statistics at the start of this back 10 years ago when we were thinking about it. 
Um, if we had 10% electric vehicles in our fleet in Ireland, the peak of electricity at that kind of five, six o'clock when we all come at home and turn on our mm. kitchen kettles and whatever, it shoots up. Mm-hmm. And you get this peak where you have to turn on a whole lot of power stations just to run that peak. And if we had 10% electric vehicles, which you could switch to and say, rather than turning on new power plants, we're going to draw back from all those batteries and provide that power for that short-term blip we have in demand. Okay. That's a massive, massive savings to the state. Well, that sounds very well. That sounds very organised. Mm. Yeah, no, we are in Ireland. Point. Okay. Well, no, no. Ireland is good at this. We are probably the leading country in the world in integrating renewables power in a system. Airgrid is the world leading expert in this. Okay, because that was one of the questions around if we did have an ex- a spike in, in mm. sale of electric cars and they did all come home at half six and they all plugged in, would that mean the rest of us would have you know lukewarm tea? One of the reasons we're good at now here. I'm going to blow my own trumpet here, but we were ahead of the game. On Go this. ahead. I, no, it's true. I mean, I was out about 10 years ago looking at this in real detail mm. in Japan and in California and in New York and in Germany and came back with a clear view that, yeah, this is the future. So we pushed ESB to invest. We had the first national network. And yeah, there's mm. problems with it. They're not far enough of them, but they were the first. And the evidence of how we're good at it is that London just had a big competition in terms of they want to turn their whole black taxi fleet electric. Mm. Who did they use to run their system? The ESB, because ESB were ahead of the game. And Airgrid, again, another, another example, the former Secretary General, uh, the former um, Secretary of State for Energy in the US government, uh, Steve Chu, Nobel Prize in Physics, no dodo, under Obama, came over here and he was just for three days and all he did was he sat in the control room in Airgrid, they have a control room down the Burlington Road, to see how they do it, because no one could believe what they've done in terms of in an island isolated system running that amount of wind power up to 60% at certain times now. And actually the physics of how that works is is amazing, it's evolved. And the third benefit of electric figures, just to finish that out, to explain it. So as well as that peak in the, in the five o'clock in the evening, at four in the morning when you've got nothing being used, but you've loads of wind, you're charging all your batteries. It's, it's the perfect balancing system. The new revolution we're in, we're in the clean energy system the revolution is all around the balancing of variable supply and variable demand, of using the Internet of Things to do that for you. And that brings a huge financial benefits to the country. It doesn't own, belong to any one person, to you or to me or anyone else, but it does belong to the whole system. It brings down the price of electricity. And Ireland has this prospect that we can actually be one of the leading countries. We are. We're probably number two now next to the Danes in terms of integrated renewables. And it can be cheap because we have the strongest wind and we have and we're good at this. So the benefit from that is and the inference for your technology, other industries, is that you can go to the likes of Apple or Google or Facebook and say, stay in Ireland because we can guarantee you here in a 20 year time horizon that you're going to have stable, clean, renewable electricity power. Oh, that's if it gets past the planning process. Uh, yeah, but no, with. but 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 it'll but I, come. But I, but I take your point. But uh, but um, is it then just in terms of why so few electric cars have been sold? Is it just then mainly a pricing issue that electric cars have been more expensive? Um, like, wh- why didn't we go down the we route of countries like Norway, where they allow you to, you know, I think you get free parking that they're untaxed. You you don't pay tolls. Uh, real we incentives. We shouldn't pay tolls. I, they went with putting electric cars into bus lanes, which I wouldn't agree with. I okay. think. We, I, I think maybe you know. But do you, um, a, do you do you drive a car at all? I do. Okay. I do. I, it's it's a, an O3D Volkswagen Caravelle, and okay. it's a diesel. Now it's a biodiesel. 
we got it as a as a biodiesel to have a zero carbon vehicle. I can't get biodiesel at the moment. It's pretty right. difficult to get. So it. what so happens to it? Is it just in the driveway? Snow. <laughs> no, I drive around. But it's going to be replaced. I mean, I'm hoping I go to the NCT every year and go, please, God, come on, give me mm-hmm. another year because uh, the next one is going to be electric. Right. Because it's, they are just, going back to what the experience is, it's true. Why is it held back? Probably because they're more expensive, because range anxiety did exist. Mm-hmm. Although we did a lot of work with the EV Owners Association and, um, and they were always keen to make the point that, okay, while there are teething problems, actually the experience of a lot of people is really good. They actually Listen, electric cars are they're, brilliant to they're drive. They're and cars also to drive. what they don't tell you about it is how fast they are, They've right? So it's, it's, yeah. they take off like a bullet. So you're sitting there in your Nissan Leaf, which is kind of a bit of a granny car, right? And mm. I have no problem driving a granny car, right? And you're, you come up to the lights and you're no. sitting beside... Um, uh, some salesman, right, in, 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 his, in his five-year-old BMW 3 so he's got spiky hair. To your, <laughs> okay, to your, to and he's looking teaser, at yeah. you, and the lights are red, <laughs> and he's kind of looking at he's looking at down at you like that. Lights go green, you go bang, and he has no idea why. No, yeah. He's no idea what happened. Um, he's no idea what happened. But um, but if if you buy an electric car, and if I buy an electric car, if you buy an electric car, and we all have electric cars, we're going to have a bit of a funding problem, aren't we? Because at the moment like diesel and petrol cars mm. give us quite a lot of money in tax and petrol gives us a lot of money in tax and how are we going to replace that income mm. you know i see i see more of a no car culture coming in mm. uh-huh. um i think uber that's fundamentally their their grand plan absolutely um like, like beyond the driverless thing mm-hmm. um and i quite like that do you drive um, I don't. I'd okay. ha- I, I, I can drive. I did drive before, mm. but I don't drive at the moment. And why not? Is that just because you live in the city? In the city or? Yeah, I just, for me, I just like, I don't like driving. Mm. I don't like, um, I don't like long, like long haul driving. I just never really enjoyed it. I don't like the stress of it, finding car parking mm. spaces. That's a pain. And then, well, in the city, it's a pain in the neck. The prize is that we devise a system where people don't own cars, they get access to car services. 100%. And it's coming. So we, we, this is this whole idea, all the car companies have talked about it, Uber have talked about mm-hmm. it. There's almost a roaming fleet of autonomous yeah. vehicles yeah. and you just dial it's one up. That, and it's not that far away. No, it's, it's not really impossible. Not. And it is... It has real benefits in terms of cheaper, mm-hmm. but also has benefits in the city that you start thinking about you don't need car parking spaces. Mm. Because 95% of the time, our cars are sat I know, in a car sits, park. It's a total waste. So if you have a system where the car is on the road 90% mm. of the time, mm-hmm. let's say, and providing a whole range of different services as part of this integrated network of digital, again, it's all about the data, how you actually manage that. Mm. Um, it's actually a better system. You see, they, these revolutions are only going to work, really, if they're better, you know, you're not, mm. we're not going to be able to force people to say, you know, have a adverse experience in terms of being stuck on the side of the road. Or, But if you have a system which is better and a part of better is that it's more social. Like I was again, uh, you know, when you're in this lift sharing, I've been a few times recently now. I quite like the fact that you're meeting people and... and okay, yeah. can I take you back to my headphones presence, yeah. uh, introvert blocking off the world uh, earlier on? So... I'd say majority of people are in your are in your camp on that. They probably do, and we're quite social in Ireland mm. uh, as as well as as a people. For me, I'm not sure the idea of of, of sharing of lift sharing. Uh, it like I use the bus maybe half the time. Walk into work the 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 rest of the time. 
to, to get into work. I have a car that sits in my driveway 95% of the time and doing absolutely nothing. But even on the bus or on the path, I've got the headphones on. I'm, I'm kind of into my own stuff. I'm back into this mm. silo. I'm not a good human being, basically. No. Yeah, I know I hear you on that. And I like my lift sharing experience has always been abroad because like so you're in holiday mode mm -hmm. and you're meeting people and you're from different right. countries. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I, you're, I'm definitely more social, but I get you. Yeah. If I was getting, do you know what I mean, into a car at the end of my uh, my road on a Monday morning, I don't think I'd it's be one of as social. Why, it's one of the reasons why cars are so popular because it is a lovely cocoon where you've got your own oh, sound yeah. system. You've got, you've got a sound system, but, and yeah. but if you're if you're stuck in that for an hour and a half because everyone else yeah. is doing the same thing and it just doesn't work, and you're offered the alternative of a city where actually everything flows, which mm -hmm. is the prize. Mm -hmm. The prize isn't that is that it works as a system. Oh, I know. And employers, um, for example, they, they they love the idea of uh, autonomous vehicles where you're not driving your own car because that then releases, quote unquote, more productivity time. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, no productivity okay. time. So you're sitting in the, a car that has no steering wheel, no pedals. And guess what? You can do your work email. Well, that's or, my thing. I didn't want to know. say it there because it sounds bonkers to a lot mm. of people. But that's also why I don't drive because like I can get taxis oh, you get taxis <laughs> and I can work in the back work. like that's that's an hour of, You're just a workaholic. of working <laughs> you know. I'm not but in terms of like getting yeah. stuff done and, it, and when you when you factor it all in at the end of the, yeah. of the month or whatever I mean it's not a huge you difference. say you don't like driving personally despite the fact that I rarely use the car in the city I actually do quite like driving not in the city I just spent you know, a while ago I spent a week in the states and I went to Fargo, but instead of flying from Chicago to Fargo, I flew to Minneapolis and drove from Minneapolis to Fargo just to drive it, yeah. just to drive mm. that kind of tundra. Well, I love that kind of driving. Mm. No, I do like that. Mm. I like, you know, the experience, like the mm. experiential kind of driving. And it wouldn't have been the same if I was in a robot car. I mean, I still probably would have enjoyed it. I could have taken photos along mm. the way. I could have done. But um, I think what's going to happen is from talking to some of my slightly older, grumpier, middle-aged friends and colleagues, I think what, what they're all saying, no, I don't want any of that self-driving car. I want to drive, you know? Sure. And I think what's going to happen is there's going to be, most people will choose the autonomous vehicle because it's more practical and every young person will because they won't be able to afford to drive mm -hmm. anyway because 100%. your insurance premium is going to go up, th you know, threefold. But the richer, older guys are going with their two buttons open on their shirt and, you know, in their red car. They're going to have manual cars and, they want to tell the world, no, this is I, I'm in charge of my own so destiny, and I'll pay the, the five grand a year. You read the Financial Times broadsheet, and like in terms of the people who just want to let you know that yeah. they're still. I think they've got golf clubs in the boot of the car. Yeah, yeah. You know? But I, I do think, I mean, the next generation, as far as I'm concerned, they're not gonna they're gonna own very little. Mm. You know, they're not gonna have homes. Their, their, their workplace is going to be very fluid as well. So they're, yeah. they're working from home, working from everywhere. I think that we're going to have this digital nomad thing. I think that'll become the new normal. So you, you won't really own a car or a house or... And is that, is there a certain amount of confidence built into that in terms of one's ability? Because well, the Americans up to a certain age, they don't really own, they rent and Germans are the same. Mm. And I've always, but I've always attributed part of that confidence in themselves they move around a lot but they have a lot of confidence in themselves to land a job they do they sometimes they have employment contracts rather than being staffed somewhere for mm, nine years like yeah. we do like we do in ireland is that part of that mindset I, yeah no i think right now it certainly is but i think the way workplaces are going so if you mm. look at what millennials want from workplaces mm. now they want remote working yeah and they want to be able to work from anywhere and, and it's coming in like incrementally so i think in like 10 years time mm -hmm. you will work there'll probably, probably be pods i'd say companies will are, will they, allow, are they allowed to date at work 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> so um, Katie wrote a very interesting uh, piece a couple of weeks ago about the new rules about dating at work. And it, it was in the context of tech companies because, um, well, you might explain. I think Facebook and Google have new rules in the States about yes, yes. dating so at work. Facebook have um, a very strict rule. It's an ask once policy. OK, what does that mean? OK, so if you want to ask somebody out, a colleague out, mm -hmm. you can only ask them once. Right. Um, so you can't go back to them. So if they say, no, um, I'm busy, so even, even ambiguous replies. So if you don't get a straight yes, I'll meet you at this time on this day, yeah. you can't go back and ask and again. So if, so, and so, so if you I, ask I, somebody to go on a date and if they say, do you know what, I'd love to, uh, you know, but I'm just doing this on that particular date. Are, are you supposed to judge the tone of their voice or or or, or is is it a strict, no, no, no it's, they've it's said one, they're busy, it's, that's it's it. one and done. Okay. And, and because, it? it's because I guess um, people don't, will often say things like mm. that when they want to get out of it, you know? Yes, so, and, and, which and, they do, and, of course. Yeah, of course we've all do. done that. So yeah. I think based on that, they have to take that as somebody could potentially be, they, well, they I'm might not sure be we being are. I don't. I actually have never been asked out at work. Uh, <laughs> What about the dial? Does it? Yeah, no, I was just us. thinking when you brought this in, I thought to myself, <laughs> does this, you know, because this has been a story in politics. The Australian Deputy Prime Minister recently lost his job because he was having an affair with uh, his assistant researcher, uh -huh. I think. Uh -huh. And there was a similar issue. Where else was it an issue? So, no, but I think because of that Australian experience, and, and there's a real issue in politics in the House of Commons as well, there's been a serious issue, and in yeah. the European Parliament. Mm -hmm in terms of, because it tends to be an environment where people work late, it's mm -hmm. lots of young people and there's a power imbalance often and people are really worried about so, that. that and but the reason that this has cropped up in the likes of Facebook and Google in the States, it's it's partly because of some of the bad behaviour, isn't it, in some tech companies like Uber, for example, there's been yeah. some terrible behaviour there. Yeah, there's awful. So he sent out a memo, which was... This um, is Travis Kalanick, yeah. the ousted... Uh, founder of uh, Uber, who uh, yeah was basic was basically ousted because of bad behaviour, mm. not unrelated to harassment of women. Yeah, so it's been um, well documented. By the way, that's not me going out. Yeah, there's been, mm. been a huge amount of sexual harassment claims mm. um, in the company. So just a really bad um, kind of big boys club type culture mm. there that they're trying to wipe but out. Come back to the incident that Facebook is saying, and you can see why that's a kind of a clever, just general rule, and maybe in, in some ways. But the question then you'd ask is how is it enforced or how is it monitored or is it like is it is a verbal or or it, is it only where you've where it's email or where it's it's kind of electronically recorded and my understanding uh, is electronically, electronically recorded yeah and then the question is well who's got access to who's you know who's looking over or what access rights are there in terms of because mm. work email is work email personal or is that it's anyone not can personal, see it yeah it's, 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 and, and the interesting it's not thing the States. I think just it go is, back to what yeah. you're saying about let me go back and take a step back we say we're going to move to a new world which is much more flexible but people don't own things more mobile but that's I just just before we do that I just want to finish because I'm actually yeah. slightly fascinated about this dating issue I actually happened to meet my wife uh, at work in the last newspaper I worked yeah. and um that wasn't a question of either of us asking. That happened at the Christmas party, basically, mm. right? Um, but I, I'm just wondering, is, might there be, is this done being done for very noble reasons or is it being done for strictly legal reasons to indemnify uh, the companies? 
Or is there, as there sometimes is with tech companies, a kind of a cynical strategic thing where we don't actually want them dating and flirting anyway because then they can work harder? Oh, interesting. I think it's fundamentally money saving. Mm. I think it's, you know, they need One to limit liability because yeah. you, that, there's been so many claims coming up now. I mean, Uber boss. I don't, I know, just not on this dating mm. bit again. I just find it hard to think how you could stop people having developing a relationship. And even no, if no, you try I, to, I don't think it's to stop them having, I think oh, it's to stop somebody asking repeatedly. Oh, no, I can understand. Mm. But, but if there was a rule developed where, you know, we don't like people dating each other, can you imagine the excitement of that relationship then where you'd be in work mm. and it'd be constantly a sense of, of unspoken... Well, some, some companies... <laughs> Traditionally, some big companies have favoured the absolute opposite. They quite like some uh, uh, staff employees to get together for the stability it creates. You might remember the the movie The Firm with Tom Cruise, which was, what's the name of that uh, crime author? Um, oh, yeah. Uh, God, what's his name? He's the, he was the biggest uh, legal... John Grisham. John Grisham. John Grisham. And the whole thing there was, no, 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 We they almost paired, paired him off with somebody in the office. Uh, almost kind of slightly Scientology sort of style yeah. so because it creates a stable environment and an ecosystem that they can kind of quasi-control or 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 intervene in. Um, mm. That's not what happened with me and my wife <laughs> in the last <laughs> place I, I worked. But um, but uh, but yeah. I, so I'm I'm just wondering. Well, what's it like in the doll? I mean, do 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 is there any? Well, I I don't know how to ask that question. Yeah, I the mean, doll is a bit like a monastery. It's you have to think of it. It's like an enclosed order. It's surrounded by railings. Mm -hmm. It's ordered by bells. We're called mm -hmm. to prayer at twelve o'clock <laughs> every day, and it's a remarkably social place. In that, as you're going up and down the corridor. You're nodding at everyone because you mm -hmm. know everyone, and, sure. and people are respectful to each other across the political divide. Um, there are more young men and women as well there, there is now a whole than cadre, I remember. There's before. a whole cadre of every TD now gets two staff: mm -hmm. a researcher and the person who runs the office. And I think that's really good. I think it's, it's needed to, if, if, kind of a, if a country's going to make good policies. You have to research. You have to think about what you're doing. But they typically are a lot of young people who would be um, kind of learning a lot in that process. And it makes for quite a social space. It is. Mm. It is. And a it's slightly different for members because you're um, typically older and male and, male and mm -hmm. gray and well, you're no not interest to anyone. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, you're happily married, uh, yeah. as, uh, as we know. Um, um, there's a couple of other things I wanted to to kind of touch base on. One of the things that connected some of the early topics we were talking about was um, was actually 5G because 5G mobile because you're talking about things like Internet of Things, about devices working with each other, about autonomous vehicles, for example. The only way any of that stuff is really going to work is if we have much faster, much more dependable mobile networks. And it's not just about the speed of your mobile internet access, but it's also about the latency and the reliability of how, you know, this mug connects to this microphone, connects to, to the car outside, to the lamppost, to some server. Um, it's not clear to me. I wonder whether either of you have a view on what Ireland, what 5G is going to look like in Ireland in Ireland or whether you whether you've confidence that in say three or four years time we're going to have a, a 5G network and B a ubiquitous 5G network that won't just be in kind of profitable cities. Hmm. 
Um, I'll be honest that I think in three years' time, our real first task is getting fixed fibre to every house. I think there is an issue in terms of... Uh, to answer your question, do I think... Well, that's, yeah. I, I want to ask you that about that uh, again, because th that there's actually but, uh, an but, issue in, in cities uh, around that. Yeah, but I think that will trump, the in terms of getting 5G to rural locations, I think... I can't, I can't see that happening ahead of the fibre network okay. I, I, because the whole entire states and most of the industry's attention will be on getting the well, fi fibre. Fibre, as in, for example, the National Broadband Plan, which is really, yeah. that's what that's supposed to, to guarantee. Yeah. That, even with all its its hassles, on balance, it still looks like it's going to happen. It will. And, um, and, and we need it to happen. Mm -hmm. And we still have to work out the fine. I mean, it's still not designed, really in terms of which polls and mm. uh, how's it going to work and, and, and who's going to pay what. But I think it is essential that's going to come first. The, the 5G then will, I mean, it does help because when the mobile will or Wi-Fi or wireless will all now connect as quickly as possible to a fibre network, mm. such will be the volume of data. So it will help the development of 5G. And particularly if you design it in a way where you've shared access, open access requirements so that those mobile companies can get onto that fibre really quickly. But I think in truth, the 5G will come to urban areas first. And yeah, then roll out it's, there's some very, it's very wishy-washy, a lot of the, uh, the proposed regulation. I remember asking the Minister for Communications, uh, Dennis Nocton, about uh, a year ago um, about 5G. And he, he posited a view that it was his hope that as the next major step in mobile communications in Ireland, that it would there would be a break with previous tradition where it's where the license would stipulate eighty five percent or ninety percent of population, meaning basically the cities, a few towns, and wherever the operators wanted to connect then in between, and that he would hope that it would be a geographically ubiquitous um, network, and even intimated that that might be a condition of, of any license. And then I asked the the chairman of Comreg, Jerry Fahey, about this, and he kind of his eyebrows went up and he was thinking, well, look, that's, that's not really economic. You, you know more about this, Adrian. The characteristics of 5G does uh, and the part of the spectrum it uses, is it long? Does it cover over distance? Does not it, really, no. no. It's, so therefore, it's, you know, therefore, it's going to be very difficult. They, mo there are more talk. for so The services we're talking about, there's more talk about you know, millimetres and, 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 and smaller distances, yeah. which could mean like more infrastructure required. And we all know how hard it is to get you know, a mast... Uh, yeah. A planning commission for a mass in a, in a, in a rural community. I, I have to say, I've covered this issue for many, many years. Great sympathy for uh, poor coverage in, in rural areas. Sometimes, and only sometimes, you know, there will be a protest about bad coverage, and the next day there'll be a protest against well, one, a mast going up and one of the, on the local school. One of the issues immediately on the rural broadband scheme, we do have a choice whether we use aircom poles or ESP poles, still in my mind. And it makes sense to use one or the other rather than both. Why would we maintain two pole networks? The advantage yeah, of air is kind of playing hardball on this at the moment. Um, mm. Air, air, air I, I spoke, I've spoke to the outgoing chief executive, Richard Mote, about this. So the issue here basically is whoever wins the national broadband plan, and we know who it's going to be, it's going to be ENET. They, to, 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 to get the fibre out to the actual rural homes, in many cases, they're going to have to transit air's uh, uh, infrastructure, which is, you know, which are telephone poles and ducts. And there is an existing regulated price for that to happen. And I think 20 it's euros yeah, 20 pole. euro. But that pole, right? was price was set at, a you know, in, in a context where, you know, a, an operator might seek to access 
a hundred well, poles. Can, can I put it to you that Aircom, I'm not sure it's necessarily in Aircom's interest to fixate on those two million poles which are a pain in the neck to mm-hmm. maintain and service and will be doing that well, for that's the next 25 that's, years. That's the justification they say for the 20. They say the cost, this costs yeah, a fortune to but, maintain. But I'm not too sure if it's mission critical for that company. There, 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 there is then a question is, well, maybe would you want instead to put it on the electricity poles mm-hmm. because there tend to be better poles. There's an electricity wire going into every single house. There isn't a phone line going yep. into every single house. There's loads of benefits. Mm-hmm. The downside is, one of the risks is, and just, I was just triggered this by what you're saying there about in terms of getting things built in Ireland. Mm-hmm. The phone line poses, poses the advantage that they go along the road, which is whereas the f- electricity wires go over the field. And as soon as you go over a field, no, John B. Keane kicks right. in. Yeah. And actually, there's, so we, we have a question facing ourselves in rural Ireland saying, OK, if rural, if, if rural broadband is key, which it is key, and it's mm. essential we have it, then we're going to have to have not the IFA doing a deal that isn't just crippling the possibility of using those poles. And that, I think, is probably in the next few weeks or months is probably one of the most critical decisions we've got to make. Mm. And I think once we make it, we will roll it out and it will happen. And I think, and I think that's first priority. Mm-hmm. I, do you know, it's funny, we talk about rural broadband uh, uh, a lot. I actually, at this point, have an equal concern for urban broadband. Let me tell you what I mean. Um, we have this process, the National Broadband Plan, and it's, I do believe on balance, it will roll fibre broadband out to the 450,000 uh, or 540,000 uh, homes, rural homes around the country, but that will leave um, cities, by and large, without fibre. At the moment, nobody thinks it's a problem because Virgin is in all of the cities, and Virgin's pretty good. You get 200, 300, 400 megabits per second, and that's actually fine by today's uh, standards. And in future, they might be able to dial that up to eight or 900 megs. After that, there is actually an issue because if air doesn't upgrade its telephone lines to fibre standard, we essentially have a, a high-speed monopoly in cities. But air might survive not without those two million poles in the countryside, but air will not survive as a company if they're not a leading broadband pro- pro- yeah. provider in urban areas. So I, I, and there is also CSIRO in the mix in terms of they do, that's an They ESP can't afford to roll out in, uh, to, to that extent in cities. Yeah, they I mean, they're out 150, 200,000 houses so far are pa- cross, going past 200,000 houses. They, yeah, they probably but they won't go up against Virgin. They will literally, like, so CSIRO, uh, CSIRO's rollout plan, they will actually look at a town if it's a large town or a small city and they will say right that road has virgin that road has virgin that we, we're, we're going to the three roads next they, they literally yeah. won't go head to head but as long as those three players as long as you do a virgin and and mm. and air and esb you've three fundamental different networks you've won the electricity won the cable and won the phone mm-hmm. and getting them to compete is the way to go we're a lot better off in some ways there's a very good woman i don't know if you ever met her or heard for susan crawford she again she's um an expert in internet policy and access. And what happened in the States, actually, I don't know what your experience in the States is, but the States, the cable companies have in that area a huge oh my monopoly. Oh, God, it's a disaster. They, they are killing it. They're it's really a disaster. killing it. We don't quite have the same cable monopoly. No, here listen, the States, there. from a telecoms perspective, yeah. is a nightmare. I mean, is, yeah. uh, mobile, I, was, I said it just in the States, uh, uh, mobile data like $60, $70 for the week I have yeah. to pay to get, you know, 10 gigabytes or whatever. Here it's 20 euro, you know. Yeah. Um, broadband, you're right. Um, so we have a reasonably competitive market. Mm, no, that's fair enough. Just, um, we're going to wrap up soon, but I want to move on just quickly to social media because Twitter's chief executive, Jack Dorsey, says he wants 
to move as many people to to being verified. That's the little blue tick that mm-hmm. you get on Twitter. Do both you use Twitter? Do you use Twitter, Katie? I right? don't. You don't use Twitter. No. Okay. Um. So, is do you think people who do you, do you think Twitter is? I sometimes I think Twitter is kind of over glorified as 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 a network. Like why why don't you use Twitter? Um. I've never used social media at all. No. Nothing. Never. Okay. Um. So that was just a choice that I made early on. Um. Just it's something I didn't want to get involved in. Uh, any reason for that? Or? Um, well, it's funny. You were talking about um, identity cards and mm. whatnot earlier. To me, it, f- it felt like an identity card. Which that it I didn't completely want to, is. That I didn't want to get it involved is. It's in. A, it's a telephone book. It's, it's a way for somebody to look up what may or may not be your views on something. You know, yeah. I mean, no, I, I, I think it's a great medium for businesses. I mean, mm. and maybe I, I, I can't say that as somebody who's not, who's not in there. But I do lurk. Do you? Yeah, I'm a big, big, big lurker on Twitter. And I feel that's the but best can, do way. You, do you do that without an account? Do you just go in through a browser Yeah, so I go in a Twitter search. Yeah. And then I find I can kind of get a better sense of conversation because mm-hmm. I'm not in my own echo chamber. Mm-hmm. I'm not, it's not people telling me. So it's not like my time. 400 people, do you mean giving me people whose opinions I generally resonate with anyway? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I'll look up search terms. I'll look up different ways people might search for mm-hmm. things. And I feel I get a more kind of rounded view of yeah, I will read how the, people are talking. The co- well, the columns you write generally have several sources quoted in terms of research, so... I'm a very good lurker. <laughs> At lunch. <laughs> no, I don't uh, use fake accounts or anything, but in, in, yeah. in, in that way, I find... Yeah. yeah, but I can... Well, the reason that Jack Dorsey, and by the way, the Twitter co-founder, uh, Biz Stone, was, was here uh, recently. He was, uh, for actually quite a noble reason, he himself and... Um, Father Peter McVerry uh, launched a, I think it was a Twitter initiative to identify uh, vacant properties um, around Dublin, as I recall. But but he's doing this, Dorsey's doing this, he says, to try and address uh, harassment, which is still a huge problem uh, on, mm. on Twitter. Um, what's your use of Twitter like? I mean, do you, you use it, but do you, uh, how do you use it? Do you, do you, and do you use other networks? Do you find that Twitter is uh, productive for you or is it just kind of a, a, me- a megaphone? No, it's the ability to publish. Now, that's uh, publish is the wrong right. word, but the ability to share and put out. Mm-hmm. In my line of work, it is very useful because you can share reports, videos, press statements, whatever. Mm-hmm. It gives you the power not to just relying on some other media. You're your mm-hmm. own media. And, and that's mm-hmm. why I think so many people in politics like it. It gives mm-hmm. them control over what they're saying and it's an it's an outlet mm. um, I find Instagram I'm on as well which I really like in a creative way it's more personal it's more as the painter Dorothy Cross said to me recently I met her she said it's like a little prayer every now and then mm. she, she puts out there Sweet. and um, I don't like Facebook just on a person I don't know what it is but I've never and I have to use it because in politics it's a very significant medium because it can target audiences and because it is such a community there's mm-hmm. a strong sense of community Facebook so a lot of other people are getting that sense of community out of it I have never done it I found it I share stuff on it but it's not on Twitter or Instagram I'd be doing it at a slight sense of creativity on Facebook I feel a slightly sense of work mm-hmm. do you do you ever get into rows on any of those social I tend not to because I think and God knows I've had opportunity over the years and still do um, I, I, I think it needs to be a bit more civil and I just think once yeah, no I just I prefer to be civil mm-hmm. and I, I'll try and respond as best I can as often as I can and I think that's important it does have to be two way you know really does but if it's two way to someone who's been really abusive I tend I've only ever blocked one person 
Okay. And that was at the end of a really very serious provo- provocation in right. the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, in general, I, I don't mind someone kind of coming at you with a, an angry pitch because, you know, that's there. But uh, I, I think, from my mind, the response, the more civil you are, the better it is. Mm. What about, like, getting a sense of your electorate? Do you find that social media, you, you, you understand them better or what they no, want? I think, or? It's, I think in truth, you, if can, you, can, you over-attend, and, and what is it, you know, 20 people like something on Twitter or whatever, okay. or you think that makes you feel good. It actually doesn't mean that much at all. Okay. Because in truth, when you look at the statistics, even though you think, oh, I have 25,000 followers, and mm. 20, in truth, maybe about a thousand of those might have the chance of seeing something and maybe 50 or 100 will engage in it. Mm. But, so in each, so it's not as powerful as people think, but it, it is, um, it's, you, you have to be there. Do you, yeah. But do you not get any kind of dopamine or positivity reinforcement reaction at all if yeah, you get course, 50 course, or 100 yeah. retweets or of course you do that's the way it's designed everything yeah. it's a very californian culture there's a friend the guy you know um ben hammersley he was former tech ambassador for the uk he's in, he's in los angeles now but and he says you have to remember this is a californian culture it is it is very much based on that kind of rooted how many friends do you have and, mm. and kind of we've we have imported lock stock and barrel a valley girl culture into our lives and it's and it's it has upsides and downsides i think in ireland one of the reasons we are we are probably one of the more uh, countries that have adapted more than many others is I think we're reasonably close to that Californian culture. I think it's one of the reasons why a lot of those companies are here, are really successful here, is because there's something in our culture that's slightly connected. Even if you go to San Francisco I think like there's a kind of Cork thing going on there. There's a oh, big, the West Corky kind of, there yeah. Is a big Cork yeah. Hang on, hang on. It's the bohemianism though, isn't it? No, 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 there is literally, there were, you know the way immigrants go to certain places? There oh, were so you're, there's an actual physical Cork, Cork connection. Uh, excuse me, I, I thought give, you were saying Don't give them that, don't give them that. The people on Cork on Twitter, they're all Always going on about how superior and how this cork is the silicon. Now, now it'll just be. It is, but it is that sort of port and and you know I, I, I'm sorry mm. that's intangible and it's not provable. But I, anytime I've been there, I got a sense. I got the sense. Actually, you know what? It's we are connected to this place just mm. by migrants and by culture. And I think there's two flights a day from maybe not. I I I think thought there was two flights a day to San Francisco out of Dublin. Certainly during the summer, anyway. Yeah, which is kind mm, of amazing. Very popular. Two direct route. flights from yeah. uh, Dublin to San Francisco a, yeah. a day, mm. and another two to Los Angeles, I think. And there's two to Chicago. I know that yeah. from recent experience. So yeah, so maybe we do have. Maybe it's just that we pronounce the R. Maybe like my great grandfather migrated to Oregon, just north of San Francisco, mm-hmm. and maybe it's just that's what I'm thinking of. It's there. There is that at that time in the 1850s when those cities were being formed and whatnot. Mm-hmm. There would have been a lot of Irish people setting mm-hmm. them up, and culture does seep into that you know it, it, you mentioned yeah. Ballinrobe actually Ballinrobe I think has a connection to Chicago and um, there's a lot of people from 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 two parts of Mayo that actually I, I know Mayo fairly well that, that actually went to Chicago and there's a lot of connection so I, I was on a boat going across to um, to uh, Clare Island last mm. summer the guy who's uh, who's uh, had the boat is about 40 or 50 people on the boat but Honestly, could barely understand a word he said, but he still had a Chicago Cubs, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, baseball world champions uh, T-shirt on. He explained to me why and his his cousins over there uh, and all that kind of stuff. Um, but uh, but yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe there is a, a Valley Girl sensibility here. Um, I've haven't seen as many spellings with the Z. 
uh, as, as I do <laughs> people from other countries. I know punctuation is, is an issue on, but I think that's really overdone. A lot of people giving out about lack of punctuation online and I, I just I, I just interpret that as an old person giving out about young people thing again, you know. I mean, it doesn't mean you can't express, um, you know, tone or nuance. In fact, a lot of the time, the lack of a capital letter or the lack of punctuation, I think, is expressly used. I, in fact, there's, mm. I see older people trying to mimic it to try and buy into and to, to replicate that. Uh, yeah, sense, absolutely. Sense of... I mean, it's only it's it's just rhythm, isn't it? And pacing. Mm. And we're all talking faster now, anyway. I, I mean, it's languages. It's Except mu- when it's, we go to the, when I go to the states. It was, it was in North Dakota and, and Minnesota, there in Chicago, and I slow write down because if I talk at my normal pace like that, yeah. nobody will understand. Um, but uh, anyway, listen. I think we've exhausted the topics uh, for today. I want to seriously thank both of you for hanging around so long this was a, a long one um, and very enjoyable one uh, to Eamon Ryan leader of the Green Party in Ireland parliamentary TD for Dublin Bay South we never even got to talk about your cycling tour business and your bicycle shop uh, be- before politics and to Katie Byrne who is probably one of the Irish Independent's best uh, writers who writes about uh, lots of stuff and you can pick up her stuff in the paper and on independent.ie uh, every week Um, If you do enjoy this podcast, you'd be doing us a great favor if you uh, give it a rating or say something about it in whatever podcast engine you're listening to, iTunes, SoundCloud, whoever it is. But for me, Adrian Weckler, uh, that's all from this week. I'll talk to you again. Bye-bye.